This podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nihad Mansour, Assistant Director of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project. In today's Challenge Signatory Showcase episode, I'm speaking with Melanie westover Yanez, Special Counsel at Millbank LLP, about her work as a leading attorney on a Millbank religious discrimination pro bono case that produced outstanding results for a Muslim community in Virginia. We found out about this amazing work through PBI's Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge Survey which PBI uses as an essential source of both quantitative and qualitative information about law firm pro bono programs. The challenge survey is issued in January each year to challenge signatory firms, and a report is produced every June with the data collected. Check out this year's report on the law firm pro bono challenge on PBI's website. Let's get into today's showcase. In a pro bono case, Millbank represented All Muslim Association of America, AMAA a nonprofit that provides low-cost burial and funeral services to Muslims in the DMV area against a county in Virginia that created an ordinance that specifically made it impossible for AMAA to put a cemetery on their property. Millbank prevailed, resulting in the county rolling back that provision and awarding the client a large settlement in damages. Here's Melanie now. The case we're talking about today is the AMAA versus Stafford County, Virginia, and the Stafford County Board of Supervisors. This was a, at heart, a religious discrimination case. Our client, the All Muslim Association of America, provides low-cost burial services to Muslims in the greater D.C. area. Burial is obviously consistent with their religious beliefs. They purchased land back in 2015 in Stafford County, Virginia, which is about an hour south of D.C., When they purchased the land, it was zoned by right for cemetery development, meaning there were no hurdles to jump through, no discretionary process, just, you know, kind of rudimentary paperwork that you'd have to go through. They went ahead and got engineering studies and started the process of developing the land. And then when they went in to finally get the paperwork taken care of, they found out that behind the scenes, the county had imposed an outrageous and brand new cemetery ordinance that said you couldn't have any burial or any cemetery within 900 feet of a drinking well. And in this area, it's pro- it's pretty rural. So there are a lot of private wells for each house. Essentially, it rendered the entire land unusable for the AMAA. The pretext for the ordinance was water quality safety, right? Protecting the drinking water of these private wells. But Virginia code requires only a 100 foot separation. And so this outrageous 900 feet, you know, 900% of what's required under state law was a clear pretext and there was nothing to support such a setback. So when we got involved, clients had already been fighting. They sought a variance. They tried to go through the process to get the get the rule overturned, but they were unsuccessful. So they brought us in. We we began working on this case with our nonprofit partners at Muslim Advocates. And DOJ at the time was also investigating what was going on. So we filed our first complaint in June of 2020. We alleged 
various constitutional right claims, civil right claims. And then we allege two claims under what's called the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. It's called RELUPA for short. <laughs> that basically they follow a lot of the constitutional law protections, but they provide that you cannot impose land use regulations that would impose a substantial burden unless it meets the constitutional test. And you also can't impose such land use regulations in a way that would discriminate. And when we got involved, there was a lot of atmospherics that told us it was a religious discrimination case, but we didn't have any kind of outright statement, like we don't want Muslims here. We don't have that at the variance. And I think I've said it in another recording. I don't know for better or for worse, people are aware that they can't say that out in public. So maybe they don't say it at the hearing, but it's nevertheless the sentiment. And so we did have a lot of support for making the discrimination claims, but we didn't have that kind of express animus that we we thought might be important to show a judge. We filed the complaint. We went through a very long process. Over time, the county changed the ordinance but in ways that didn't really help our clients. So they changed the distance from 900 feet to 656, again, without justification. They then said, well, if you have a churchyard cemetery, so if you have a religious institution on the same land, you don't have to have any setback whatsoever, which obviously showed the pretext of the water quality concern. And then ultimately, we were able to get depositions and discovery and kind of educate the various board members as to what happened here. And ultimately, in October of 2020, they repealed all cemetery ordinances in the county. So they revert to state law. They don't put any other conditions on it. And at every step, the county thought that these changes would just kind of make us go away. But we didn't. (laughs) We kept filing amended complaints and amended complaints and saying, you haven't necessarily alleviated the burden on our client. And our clients in particular had suffered significant monetary damages. They have an existing cemetery, was running out of space, which is why they bought this land in the first place. But they were having to do additional development on the old cemetery. They were prevented from developing the new one. And so it was a very long process. You know, we ultimately settled with them in October of 2021. And as part of the settlement, they agreed to not put any further impediments in front of our clients developing of the cemetery. They approved the land use permits, all of that. And they also agreed to pay our clients $500,000, which is pretty unheard of in these types of cases. You don't often see a monetary settlement. So it was a very significant victory for our clients. And I think um, it was a hard pill, I'm sure, for the county to swallow. Wow, that's amazing that you got them to do that. You were persistent. We, We were. It was important to our clients. They were very worried about actually not having the peace of mind of knowing where to bury their loved ones when the time yeah. came. And so yeah. it was it was important that we make sure they could go ahead and actually, you know, start digging in the grounds and moving moving trees out of the way and doing what they needed to do. That happens at any time. And so if you don't have that ready, what do you do? Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, they were telling us while the case was pending, while we were, you know, fighting with the county that they were having to turn people away or explain to them the uncertainty of not knowing if they would have the land and then people kind of not knowing where to turn. What was the most challenging part of the pro bono work and how did you and your pro bono team overcome it? I would say there were probably twofold of difficult challenges here. One was the constantly shifting sands where they 
we would file the complaint, they would change the ordinance, we'd file an amended complaint, they would change the ordinance, we'd file another one. And then need to just be persistent and say, we're not going away until this is actually resolved. It just kept us on our toes in that regard. And then I think the other piece was just navigating the federal action that we were bringing, the local politics that were happening and the local kind of regulations that were happening and making sure that we were checking the boxes and addressing all of them. I think we we wound up handling it very well and actually pulling on all of the different levers and strings that we could. You know, there was local, you know, the local paper was talking about this a lot and and was very frustrated about how much money it was costing taxpayers to fight the litigation. There was also, you know, making sure we watched every board meeting and that we were observing who was voting which way and which way they might be going. And then like I touched on a little bit earlier, using our depositions of the board members and the planning commissioners to educate them about what each other had said. So we ultimately, which was what I think may have been one of the factors that pushed the county into settling through discovery, a board member reported that the then chairman of the board had told her she didn't want to see an effing Muslim cemetery across from her and she would die before she let her husband be reminded of those people. And so she, of course, denied saying anything to that effect, but it was that added element. We had all the atmospherics of discrimination, but then we had the actual statement of someone who said, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And she had been what we had alleged to be a primary motivator in making the improper ordinances. And so there was the actual rationales behind her thinking. Wow. That's a strong statement. It was. It sounds like this was a really rewarding case in many ways. Can you share why it was a rewarding case for you, particularly to work on this? I found this to be a very rewarding and challenging experience. We had an amazing client. I will say everyone at the AMAA has been very cooperative and helpful and appreciative of all the work we've done. And, you know, they have at every step been acting in good faith. They went and found a plot of land that fit all of the requirements, didn't need permits. They then tried to go and get the paperwork done and were told, well, now you can't build. They tried to ask them to repeal it and explain why it didn't work. They came to us. And every time we said, you know, we need this document or we need something to demonstrate this, they were there at the ready. And it was very rewarding. I mean, I will say they were very, very grateful clients. They had like a dinner for their lawyers to say thank you. And so many um, of their community members came to just say thanks that they had peace of mind now. So it was very rewarding to see that tangible effect that people now had a place where they could say in the future, like for me or for my family members, like here's where we know we will be able to be buried in accordance with our faith and have that peace of mind. Um, so that was a very rewarding part of the experience. They're amazing clients. I I don't think I've ever had such a kind hearted and appreciative client before. Oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I I didn't mention this before about, we had a very large team at Millbank because it went on for so many years, you know, we had associates working on it, bits and pieces here and there in our New York, DC and LA offices. And I think I got to know them all very well because we would talk about kind of the day-to-day on this and make sure, like, did you watch the board hearing last night? Did you see what so-and-so said about this particular topic? They all got to see the depositions happening firsthand and participate in those and prep for those. 
and, you know, draft amended complaints and motions, you know, defend motions to dismiss. So it was a very rewarding experience, I think, for the whole team in that the clients were appreciative of all of them. They were interacting with the clients and then to still do this straight litigation aspect of it as well. Obviously, you've shared some of the impact this pro bono work has had, but is there anything else you'd like to share about what impact this pro bono work had? For Millbank and the team, the impact was the benefit of seeing the concrete change that your work can have, right? We deal with a lot of massive financial matters with these huge transactions or transactions that have gone awry. And so we have to litigate them, which are all very important. And our clients need us for that too. But to see kind of the tangible effect of you know, day-to-day lives and how they're being affected by this cemetery ordinance was important. And then from the client's perspective, I guess I've said it a couple of times now, but they talk about this a lot in that they serve, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the greater DC area. And so for them, it was very important to make sure that they were going to, one, stand up for their rights and two, have this place where they could have peace of mind. So the impact from that respect was very important for the clients as well. I can see that being really tremendous, especially in such a pivotal moment, a life experience and being there and wanting to have that for your family and the religious implications of what that means for them. Yeah. And they never asked for anything. They weren't asking for special treatment. They were just saying like, we just want to have a a burial plot and we found this piece of land that shouldn't be bothering anyone. It's so remote. What advice would you give other firms that want to do similar pro bono work? You know, I would suggest that you keep in touch with your nonprofit partners. I mean, they tend to have probably a little bit of a closer touch to um, those who may be directly impacted, or maybe, you know, people are reaching out to them first because they see the headline for us, right? Muslim advocates, as opposed to Millbank LLP, they're probably going to reach out to Muslim advocates first. And I would also say, you know, just just be willing to dig in. When the case first came to us, people were afraid that maybe you couldn't prove discrimination and were you going to have enough to make the case? And we were willing to kind of see it and push it forward and ultimately find that in discovery that we had plenty of evidence of discrimination. But I think that unfortunately, there's probably plenty of this work to go around. If you look and if you reach out to your nonprofit partners, you'll probably find plenty of it. Be it religious discrimination or now with, you know, abortion medication and those kinds of things, the fights are always there to be had. Giving somebody the the opportunity to be heard and seen in this way, it feels really good to hear a big law firm doing that. Yeah, I also think, right, when we're all living our lives, everyone who looks at what happened here, I think would equally say, oh, it's clearly discrimination. And so to keep that in the back of your mind, even though, yes, we have to meet the legal standards that we have to meet, you have to put it in perspective that, you know, this group was suffering this and knew it was discrimination, even if, you know, they couldn't make the legal case. And so to kind of help them get across that hurdle and say, here's how we can make the case, I think was important to them to make sure they were being heard. That's so empowering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Makes me really happy. <laughs> good, good. I'm, good. I'm going to share this episode with my mom. <laughs> oh, good. She's good. That's so awesome. <laughs> thanks to Melanie Westover Yanez for her leadership and expertise. A special thanks to Millbank for doing great work and being a law firm pro bono challenge signatory. We encourage challenge signatory firms to respond to PBI's Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge annual survey and provide concise descriptions of innovative work for PBI to celebrate. If your firm is interested in becoming a challenge signatory, check out PBI's website for more information. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hours Challenge Signatory Showcase Series.
to hear about more innovative law firm pro bono work.